Welcome to Faith and Science. I'm Dr. John Ashton. On the news the other day, I um, heard that in a couple of states in the in the United States, um, atheists had uh, gone to the courts and had been successful in getting a court ruling to stop um, Bibles being given out in public schools by the Gideon Society, by the Gideon. So many folk would know that the Gideons are a group that... Um, uh, give out Bibles for people to read. They often uh, uh, leave them in um, uh, hotel and motel rooms. Often you would go there and you'd find a, a Bible to read that had been donated um, by this uh, society. And I thought um, I thought that this was really in, in, interesting, particularly in America, because the Bible plays such an important part in in their history, um, the first uh, pilgrims, of course, who came across there to, to settle in uh, America there were fleeing religious persecution. Uh, these are people that wanted to have the Bible and be able to read the Bible. And the Bible is, as we know, is a special book. It contains the, the history not only of the Hebrews and the, the Jews, but it's more than that. It's really the one of the oldest recorded histories uh, of the world and uh, the accounts thereof of God, our creator, the creator of uh, the universe and the earth and life on it, um, interactions with men. And, of course, you know, people are, are disputing this, that the Bible is a, a, um, an inspired book but there's so much evidence, of course, that it is. Um, we just have to look at, say, the, the prophecies of in, in the book of Daniel. Daniel, who was mentioned before as an advisor to um, King Nebuchadnezzar that built the hand gardens of Babylon and the dream that God gave Nebuchadnezzar at that time, um, you know, five, uh, nearly 600 years before the birth of Christ, about what the future of that, uh, the empires of that part of the world would be. And, of course, that book was written down at that time, written by Daniel. Nebuchadnezzar was given a dream. Daniel was able to reveal what the dream was to the king because Daniel prayed to God for um, that God would reveal to him, what the, to Daniel, what Nebuchadnezzar's dream was. And God did. Um, Daniel saw in vision the, what the dream was and God also revealed to Daniel what the dream meant. And it was really a revelation of what would happen to Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom and what would happen to the following kingdoms. And the dream extends right up to the time when God returns, when Jesus Christ returns. And of course it predicted that the Babylonian Empire would be followed by the Persian Empire, which would be followed by the Greek Empire, which would be followed by the Roman Empire, which would be there's subsequently divided up into many countries, uh, many smaller little uh, empires that would never unite until, um, and in the days of those kingdoms, um, God would return and, of course, set up his kingdom. And we know that that's exactly what happened in um, in in history. Um, Cyrus's general Gobius took uh, Babylon, um, 
in about 538 BC and um, then the Persian Empire was conquered by Alexander the Great, I think around 331 BC and then of course uh, gradually over a period of time the Greek Empire succumbed to Rome you know, around um, 100 or so BC and of course then the Roman Empire deteriorated um, you know, 300 um, AD onwards or thereabouts, you know, up until the fall of uh, Constantinople in 10... Um, I forget the date here, Constantinople, about 1100s. Uh, and that was the end of the capital of the Western, uh, Eastern Roman Empire. And, of course, Europe today uh, continues to be made up of the many nations that came out of that uh, Roman Empire. And so we know in, in this particular time, and there are many other prophecies that point to the, to the last days that Jesus uh, pointed to, when God would uh, put an end to the wickedness on, and evil on our planet. And again, um, our planet would be recreated um, without the blight of evil and sin and disease and suffering. And... Um, God would set up the uh, the new uh, new earth here uh, for those who trust in God to be recreated to to live with Him forever. And of course, God who created this this universe um, is is awesome. I mean, he, it's just so hard to to comprehend. But we see so much evidence of His love in the dealings of people and the miracles of of people and and answers to prayer and. As I mentioned, I'm just writing uh, up answers to prayer in my own life, um, so many answers to prayer and, and providential leading in my own life. And I think I mentioned just recently too, I just finished reading the book uh, Faith Like Potatoes by Angus Buchan, uh, and so many miracles and answers to prayer in his life. And he's a, you know, a contemporary um, of, uh, of, of me. Uh, at the time he uh, started his ministry, I think it was in 1989, somewhere thereabout. And, you know, he went on to make a significant difference in, in South Africa with regard to uh, preserving peace and so forth at, at the time when they were having huge um, up, upheavals over there, social upheavals at that time. And the, the miracles that he records in his book... Uh, faith like potatoes, and essentially what the the whole concept of that was, that faith in God is as real as potatoes, just as you can pick up and hold a potato in your hand. God is that real, and having faith that is real like that leads to the miracles and changes. And, of course, I've seen so many good things that have done by people that have um, uh, believed in God and have stepped out in faith to live lives like Jesus and the differences that they have made in, in the world of, uh, are well documented. But it seems that much of this um, now is... Uh, there's, it seems to me there's a very deliberate effort not only to stop people having access to the Bible or discourage people from having access to the Bible, but also from discouraging uh, the remembrance of um, you know the great people that have made a difference and and who great Christians and the works and efforts that they did that have made the changes that have 
led to the civilization that we have today. And the other eye opener that I had uh, just re- recently reading was that you know, still in recent times, um, you know, in the last um, dec- last couple of decades, there are still many places in the world where people practice witchcraft and worship uh, demons and and so forth. And um, even human sacrifices were practised in some places, um, according to some reports that I've read, up until... Um, it may still be happening, but um, as part of witchcraft and, and this uh, satanic worship. And, of course, the Bible tells us these accounts as well, not only the history of the world, but it warns us that uh, uh, Satan, an evil uh, spirit, an evil angel, and his angels were cast to uh, to earth, and they're they're wrecking havoc here in in many ways, influencing you know I believe people's people's minds, um, and we've seen the scientific studies in the in the past that as people. Um, uh, Remove their morality from the morality of the the Bible, um, and particularly uh, practice sexual promiscuity and so forth. Their ability to make good decisions deteriorates, and generally those societies, um, there's overwhelming evidence that those societies um, collapse and are taken over by societies that are more moral. And so again, why? Um, people would want to stop people from reading the Bible which tells people about a God who loves them and who wants to put an end to evil. Um, I I just find it very difficult to understand. And as I think about the the promotion of of many sites that were atheists, I was reading an article too how... Um, atheism is um, is growing, uh, particularly among professional uh, scientists and and those working in uh, scientific and academic fields. There seems to be a um, an increase in uh, the number of people that are uh, rejecting God in those educated fields. And I find this again so hard to to understand why these people are rejecting God. And one, an illustration that I thought of this just recently was that uh, we, I have um, gates at um, our property that are operated um, by a solar-powered little electric motor and that saves having to hop out of the car and open the gates and so forth because you have animals. And or an animal, at the, only one animal at the moment, apart from wild animals, and the the gate stopped working, so I had to have it repaired. So I took the uh, gate motor off and took it around to a uh, friend of mine who's an electronics engineer, very senior electronics engineer, who's responsible for designing new electronic control equipment in industry, and um, had a look at it. And uh, there's a as a circuit board that uh, controls the operation of this engine, or of this of the little motors that uh, open and close the gate, and 
he said, oh, one of the things I'm going to need is a, is a circuit diagram for this. And, of course, the contact of the company, I said, oh, well, you know, this is our intellectual property. We don't let the, the uh, circuit diagram out. So my friend had a go at fixing. He said, well, there seem to be a couple of failed components, but um, even when I've replaced these failed components, it's still not working. And I, as I thought about this, as I looked at the, the circuit board, there must have been several hundred components on this little circuit board that would have been uh, maybe, um, you know, 150 millimetres by 100 millimetres, something like that in size. And as I said, several hundred components. I could recognise things like resistors and little potentiometers and... Um, uh, you know, capacitors, and there were relays. There were a series of different uh, relays on the top, about half a dozen uh, little relays, little magnetic relays there. And But overall, several hundred components. And I thought, you know, if someone with a electronics, a huge amount of electronics experience, ha- can't um, sort of necessarily fix this unless has a circuit diagram, in other words, a diagram, a plan of how it works. And I thought, how could something like this evolve? Like, say I was given a pile of components, the 200 components that makes the pile of different sorts of resistors, capacitors, um, little um, microprocessor units, there were half a dozen of those. I think there were, you know, different diodes, all these things, and put them together so that it worked And yet all it has to do is open a gate. You know, it has to operate an electric motor to open a gate. And I thought, well, why is there so much there? But when you think about it, it's got a... It has to be a system there so that it can open the gate and you can adjust the speed at which the gate opens. And also you have to... uh, There are two gates and the one gate has to close just ahead of the other gate so that they don't jam before they've closed. Also, you want it so that um, you can adjust the speed so that you can open it or, you know, it close. you don't want it sort of racing open um, or racing close because you might not be all the way through and the, the gate closes, you know, once you press the little remote button. And, of course, then there has to be the little circuit that receives the little signal from the um, little remote button uh, to make it open and close. But also it has an emergency function that if the motor has too much torque, in other words, it jams against something, it automatically stops or reopens. And I thought, wow, all this circuitry just to design and make this little gate system work and work in harmonies, um, and yet you, when you think about it, I can come along with my brain and with my thoughts, can operate my brain that can then affect my body to move my arm to open and close the gate at just the right speed. It's automatically there in the brain. And as we could see, I, I thought if I had all those components sat down you know, in a pile, and I, I actually, if you do the mathematical probability of arranging those components in a system that works randomly, you could work for billions of years and still not get it, still not arrange those components so that they work. 
There's just so many of them. Even though they sound cup a hundred, there's so many possibilities to get the right possibilities so that it would work. Um, you know, it just wouldn't happen. And yet atheists believe that our our brain evolved such a way that our thoughts can control our brain to do the operations of a complex circuit board like this. And that's a very simple operation, just closing a gate. But there's more because what had to happen was I had to read the instructions on the gate, or on the installation thing when we, we had to order a new circuit board and I had to read the instructions of, of what to do there. And just the ability to read. And it was interesting, I've been reading a, an article on research where scientists have been trying to understand how reading could evolve. One of the areas that scientists are trying to answer in terms of some evolutionary model is why can people read? Because reading involves the capability of what is known as orthographic processing, that is being able to visually form and store and recall words, such as writing them in the air in front of you. Um, the problem of with evolutionist faces is that there hasn't been enough time, it would seem, for the human brain uh, believed to uh, to have evolved that uh, the parts of the brain that are needed for reading and fluency, and that is uh, the part of the brain that is called uh, the visual word form area, the VWFA. So scientists don't think that. How, because uh, you know, humans have supposedly evolved from um, primates, from some type of ape-like creature. They um, there wouldn't have been enough time for this particular structure in the brain to have evolved. And of course, we need to always remember that these structures in the brain are programmed by a genetic code in the DNA. That and according to evolutionists, of course, there's got to be some random mutations that produce this that work. Well, one of the experiments that they've been doing, of course, is actually studying the reading ability of uh, particularly um, primates, and uh, they've been studying uh, baboons, um, and um, and they, different theories have uh, come up. So researchers were studying baboons and they found that when the baboons were presented with four-letter strings, they could be trained to discriminate real English words from nonsense combinations um, that resembled real words. So to give you a bit of an idea, uh, if you have the letters D, O-N-E, which, which means done, uh, the baboons could distinguish between that and the letters D-N-O-E, which wasn't um, a word. So when different letters were arranged into some words and non-words, the baboons could uh, correctly identify um, the, um, the novel letter strings as words or non-words at a rate that was measured um, scientifically as being significantly ab above uh, chance. So 
it it indicated that the baboons were not really rote learning the visual patterns. And so the fact that baboons could do this with a few little words um, was really, really exciting for the the evolutionists. And um, some of the... um, Research uh, in this area is being done uh, by Professor Michael uh, Colombo at the University of Otago in New Zealand. And um, one of the things that they uh, did was uh, with his um, uh, colleague, Dr. Amian Scarf, and other co workers at Ruhr University in Bottrum in Germany, they uh, were quite intrigued by this processing ability of the baboons and they wondered if it was unique. So they began um, looking at um, uh, at the aspects of the brain and decided to look at the similar processing in pigeons. And uh, the reason why they studied pigeon was their, their brain architecture and bird uh, brains are quite different. Their brain architecture and visual system are very different to that from both humans and baboons. And so they adapted the baboon experiment to a a food reward system and the researchers set up a little touchscreen so that if the pigeons pecked the correct answer, they received grains of wheat. (laughs) What they found was that the pigeons' ability to discriminate between words and non-words was on a par with that of the baboons. And um, so they were just as good as picking words and non-words as baboons. Uh, Matter of fact, a quote from the paper um, says, Astonishingly, we find that pigeons display every hallmark of orthographic processing displayed by Granger and Al's baboons in their experiment. So... The other thing was, too, in one measure, the pigeons' achievements were actually more comparable to that of literate humans than of baboons. In other words, they, um, in some things, they scored even higher than the baboons. Now, this was um, quite um, a, a challenge, really, because the you know the pigeons were able to. Uh, uh, and birds were, of course, believed to evolve much earlier in the evolutionary model, and yet here they are, you know, as, as smart. One of the things that, um, one fascinating experiment was that um, they found that pigeons could identify the work of different artists. So, for example, they could um, tell a Picasso from a Monet, um, and I I must admit I couldn't even do that, but (laughs) I guess if I was trained after a while I would be able to, hopefully. (laughs) But um, so here we see that these these abilities there were were there in the the, uh, pigeons as well. And, of course, this became a major problem for any evolutionary model, but it fits the creational model really well. And one of the important things is, of course, while these pigeons and animals can, and like baboons, can identify, you know, maybe a hundred different word combinations from non-different word combinations, the human vocabulary is huge. 
and, and much different. Plus, we can synthesise. We use words to communicate. We can learn language and we can write language. But it's interesting that even in our day, there are many humans still today that are illiterate. They can't, can't read uh, or write. And um, now this is pretty, pretty serious, but it's one of the things that, uh, that generally is a result of not having access to proper education. And as I watch my grandchildren learning to read, because uh, I've forgotten, I suppose, with my own children, and this ability as they're just learning to read now, I have some grandchildren just learning to read, and uh, they can get quite excited about reading and identifying words. But this human ability and the human brain is so different. And the Bible talks about how our brain was made, you know, well, we are made in the image of God. And we can see, in a sense, it uh, is talking about our intelligence, our ability to discern logic, our ability to understand mathematics, our ability to construct and design things. The human mind can design. We've been able to design that um, circuit board that could operate my gates so that they could open at just the right speed. If some, if they jammed on someone, happened to be caught in the gate, the gate would stop. It had an emergency set up. Um, the gate could be synchronised so that it it opened and stopped perfectly in line with the, the fence line so it looked neat. One gate could uh, would then just follow a couple of seconds behind and line up exactly with the first gate. When they opened, they were open um, and they opened uh, fully. Well, of course, you could adjust them to open at any particular angle that you wanted as well. But that all took design, and the human brain can design things like this, quite complex things. And we have this overwhelming evidence that we're made in this image of God, and also the ability to love, to show kindness for the people that have... And this is what really impresses me, is people like Angus Buchan that came from being a very rough, angry person, quite violent to accepting Jesus and being changed to be a person that was bringing an end to violence, that was doing good, that was healing, uh, praying for people and seeing people healed. And this is the change that can take place. This is the reality. This is the, the faith that makes the Christian faith so real. And this is the God that has a plan and a future for us. Um, a plan that people should turn from the wrongdoing that they do and believe in a God that can change them into being the beautiful people that God wanted them to be and to see the change in their lives. And, of course, that's what the Bible tells us about. The Bible tells us about God who gave his, allowed himself to die at the hands of wicked people and for wrong reasons he was totally innocent, to demonstrate how bad wickedness is but how much God is prepared to change us, to forgive us and change us so that we can be the beautiful people, loving and caring for people. And that's the beautiful message of the Bible. And I would encourage everyone uh, listening to this program to read, read a Bible uh, many of us may have Bibles at, at home and they're not read. 
take advantage of it and read it while we still can, while we still have the freedom to read our Bibles. It's a love letter from God. Remember, if you want to listen to these uh, programs, uh, again, just Google 3ABN Australia, or one word, .org.au, and click on the Listen button there. You've been listening to Faith and Science. I'm Dr John Ashton. Have a great day. You've been listening to a production of 3ABN Australia Radio.